Hi, you're listening to the Coffee and Technology Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Cropster. In this episode, we speak with Jeffrey Sheehan. Jeffrey Sheehan is the co-founder of Groundwork Coffee in Los Angeles, California. Groundwork Coffee roasts a certified organic coffee from producing regions around the world. Jeffrey tells us what it means to roast and grow a brand around certified organic coffees and supporting organic coffee producing communities around the world. We even discuss coffees tied to hallucinating drug plant varieties and rethink society's approach to what responsible coffee and drug consumption is. Hope you enjoy. Well, today we have uh, Jeff Chin here from Groundworks <laughs> Coffee. Uh, extremely excited and uh, grateful uh, for your time, Jeff. Thanks for, for hopping on. Um, welcome to our podcast. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yes, welcome. Uh, absolutely. So there's a lot uh, we can talk about. Uh, your history in coffee is long and exciting. Uh, may I just uh, start right there? Maybe you can give us a, a quick rundown of like um, the history of Jeff Jean in a few <laughs> words. Well, um, in a few words. How do you count? Uh, a few sentences. Nine years in, in five years. minutes. But you, right. you take what you need. <laughs> Well, I'll start uh, dropping out of law school. I mean, actually, I discovered specialty coffee on the way to law school every morning when the some of the first Starbucks were opening in Los Angeles. I passed by one. I stopped in, and I was always struck by how what I was tasting in the cup. Um, didn't think of it exactly in that context, but it was more like, gee, what I'm tasting doesn't taste like the little sign just says I should be tasting. And so I thought that was interesting. And then after uh, I dropped out of law school, I, I, I found myself in a position where I was able to uh, do some light catering on for television and uh, primarily on the NBC lot. And I was doing coffee, donuts, bagels, muffins, starting and waking up at midnight and starting you know work at 1, 1.30 and then working to about 6, 7 at night. Did that for like three years. And during that time... Um, you know, my, 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 I started uh, doing what was called specialty car or gourmet coffee. Let's say that's what they called gourmet in the '90s, which was flavored coffee, right? Mm. So for stage coffee, that no one had been doing that prior to me, and and um, uh, so I was doing that, and then just the I would I would use back in those days percolators. So I would plug them in around the NBC lot, and and the smell of the coffee would fill the hallways, French vanilla or or whatever, and. Uh, and then I dropped them off on their respective stages. And then when I found out there were fights going on between the different crews, because one crew from one stage would, would raid the coffee that I was putting on another stage and drink it all. So I started spreading uh, that way. So finally, uh, and in that industry, crews are there for a while and then they move on. So same thing with the coordinators who were my primary contacts and they would bring me with them to their new shows. We started growing and um, I started, uh, Roasting coffee, I think in 19, uh, actually roasting coffee, I would say in 1995, when I, um, I pretty much, you know, taught myself using a walk and, um, um, and I did that because I was, I noticed that the quality of coffee that I was buying, I mean, I, initially when I first started, I was eating canned coffee and I moved to whole bean coffee and then I found a coffee roaster and started buying coffee from them. And um, um, I remember tasting my first cup of specialty coffee which was a Papua New Guinea and I was like I thought it was I thought it was flavored I said nice I asked you know I said I didn't want flavored coffee I wanted and he was that's not flavored but I was tasting like all kinds of tropical fruits and I'm telling him this he goes well that's what it tastes like it's like <laughs> what the hell so <laughs> and, and that was my moment of revelation right there and so I decided I was gonna start roasting and I did 
we were going through a couple thousand pounds a month at that point. And so I figured, oh, if I save a little bit of money, that's good, but I'm gonna be getting better quality and the kind of people that we were serving wanted that quality. Um, I don't think they knew they wanted that quality, but they were, I was gonna educate them that they wanted that quality. And um, yeah, because we, we were on the Academy <laughs> Awards for 25 years and, and um, that's rough thing. So um, I, I taught myself to roast and then uh, opened up a small roastery that was not so close to my, my commissary and uh, for for the catering and then move the commissary closer to the roaster then move the roasting into a new commissary um and uh pretty much from it's been yeah uphill trajectory i realized i love the the coffee roasting and coffee industry more than the catering industry so i i i split the companies in half and we've you know since that time we, sh we shut down the catering arm and it's just all been yeah, it's all that's amazing. Cotton. So the, that means you you have been really at the at the center of so many shows and productions uh, over all those years. Yeah, many many <laughs> fueling a lot uh, of different different shows. One, one of my, oh, I, my favorite moments was um, you know, when Robin Williams was hosting or doing something on the Academy Awards, and it just it's something almost embarrassed to say this, but he was like talking about how good the banana nut coffee was that he was getting backstage. Right, which was our coffee. And, uh, it's called Joe to go. <laughs> See, uh, excellent, awesome. Um, well, uh, just just to stay with that thought just for a second, uh, there's some of the like famous actors who are doing their own coffee roasting and they go on only on, on their own coffee brands. Um, how do you how do you see that development? Is that, is that a good thing? Is it just uh, making making money? Yeah, I mean, well, are those mutually exclusive? making money being a good thing i mean it depends, no, I it's not it's actually not, right <laughs> <laughs> you're for profit so am i so it's not it's yeah, not always an easy thing so if they're able to, to do that <laughs> you know they, they should go for it and they're using you know they're leveraging their their celebrity and their brand and uh and, and in the process most of I, I find that most of these celebrity coffees have some sort of charitable or some sort of um give back piece mm -hmm. to them so i don't see how that can be bad either um, yeah they aren't they aren't always but my experience with them and not mentioning any names is that they certainly put up a front of being more uh than they are but mm -hmm. that on the back end when they're dealing with the roaster they're mm -hmm. like you know trying to okay we just want the cheapest coffee you can find and um right i that has been my experience with one exception um um mm -hmm. uh, but some some might have been coming out of that um, <clears throat> what you did at the at the awards because they got uh, your coffee. Possibly, yeah. I mean, back, I mean, uh, I I remember sitting down. Um, you know, I I proposed to Wolfgang Puck because um, he was the caterer on that show. I always has been. Um, See, so why don't we do like a private label? You know, get the Wolfgang brand, you know, brand on the coffee. And of course, you know, he he did it, but with someone else. Great idea, man. Thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> this it kind of gives it makes me think of something. I don't know if you know if you can answer this, but I've always wondered why. To you know, to you being you having some experience in the catering side of, of of the food industry, essentially, why is it that normally if you go to like a high end restaurant, usually the coffee is not up to par as you would expect. Mm -hmm. You know, like the food would to be. I mean, mm -hmm. it's kind of a thought that just came to mind, but maybe you have. 
some insight well, into that that you, you I've always wondered. Sort of took t- or taking uh, my sales pitch from the night, like okay, back in or there was a concept on the third way, right? Was um, <laughs> I remember being in competition with uh-huh. um, someone for a particular restaurant, and at that time, again, this is 1995. I'm like, oh, Colombian is Colombian, right? And everyone always thought, oh, Colombian coffee tastes like this. And Guatemalan coffee has these characteristics and tastes like this. And people could say, oh, I've tasted this coffee. And, oh, this is this and this is that, which you can't do today, right? Because mm-hmm. um, the best Ethiopian coffee I had, I remember one year ago, God, this is the best Ethiopian coffee I've ever tried. And then I looked and it was, it was this natural coffee out in Nicaragua. So, um, um, or, and, and I was at this advanced cupping seminar, like 100 people were there and, we're trying this coffee. Everyone thought this was the most amazing natural Ethiopian. And it was in fact uh, something that Miguel uh, did from Kau, right? Where he, oh, I fermented this in Coca-Cola and then let's rinse in seawater. And then it's just, so no, it's not Ethiopian. And I mean, at the time I was thinking, it's great. You've taken like a $20 coffee and turned it into a great $3 coffee or $4 coffee, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> or being mistaken for a great $4 coffee. But, um, uh my 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 pitch was exactly that i would say you, know, you go to a restaurant like borton's and you'll have beautiful meat and they lavishly source their meats and or and, and they, they prepare them perfectly and all these great side dishes and and then uh you have a beautiful dessert and then you get this cup of coffee which um uh kind of i would say is the precursor right to a comment here in the way that the dow eggbirds which they sell you a big block of frozen coffee Right, and you put it in a machine, and uh, so but you find Dow Egbert at Burger King, and you find it in prisons, right? And uh, hopefully you don't find it there, but mm. you, you, you hear it's there, and and you find it at Morton's, or you found it at Morton's at one point. I'm like, how is that? How is it that coffee is always an afterthought? Yeah. So I think one of the things I used to, mm. you know, back in '95, I was saying, look, think, you know, when approaching chefs, think about coffee as part of your culinary experience as a culinary ingredient not as some you know mm. afterthought or uh, let's just get the cheapest coffee and and whatever a lot a lot of times um some of these coffee services that are out there like farmers brothers uh they they um have huge i visited their plant and um huge amount of spices that they move right Mm-hmm. people are married to their uh pancake like i would love to switch to you guys but I, I wouldn't be able to eat my pancake mix right from farmers brothers so um there's there's that as well so there's other ties to spices or other things that they get as well as the coffee and it's all lumped together but then it became you know educating people as an as an awareness um that you know all Colombian coffees don't taste the same like if you're using a catamore is in your back here what you're selling and you don't have an awareness of oh, this bourbon tastes so much better um that was a wake up call for me too it's like oh wow i then i started researching that and and um then we started sourcing all um let's say older heirloom heirloom rootstocks i mean it's also when you compare to other products in 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 the restaurant industry right uh, it's easier to find good wine um i guess it's like you know you just have to source it, those bottles get a little bit of education on it but possibly not too much and uh, let the let the guests do the rest kind of uh, with coffee it's a little bit different you have to get uh, equipment you have to get training um and it's uh, kind of a lot of effort for 
you know, a, a, I would say a cup of coffee, what can you charge for versus a cup of uh, wine, uh, what, what you can charge there. So I think there's a little bit of a, it's, it's not so easy to open yes. a, but a decent coffee program. From, the, from a food service perspective, mm-hmm. you need to look at every individual thing you're selling and your margins on that. Uh, but you also need to look at the overall experience and say, okay, well, I'm going to make more here and less here. And maybe remembering that for many people, the taste of the coffee is the taste that they walk away from your table with. It's the last thing yeah. they taste before they walk to their car. And yeah. if you're thinking about the food as an experiential, um, well, as an experience, you want every step to be as intentional and thought out as, you know, gee, you know, we get this, you know, this cow that you're eating was named Sally. And uh, these beans you were picked are for, you know, from Santa Barbara. And, and that's sort of thing, right? Yeah. So it's, I totally it, agree. And I, actually, I do the same. Like, if I choose a certain restaurant, uh, sometimes I choose it because the food is exactly that what I want, but uh, sometimes it's the coffee. It's like I go for that breakfast because I know what coffee deserves. And that lures me in and makes me pay all the rest <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and or uh, yeah, enjoy all the rest too. I have another like another another episode on that uh, um, uh, a gas uh, a gas station chain in Eastern Europe chose to serve better coffee to their truck drivers mm-hmm. and uh, educated them and did like a, a huge investment in in upgrading their equipment, their coffee, their training, and um, it was not a, uh, obvious to me at first. It's like why would you ever do that? And they said like, well, truck drivers have a choice where 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 to where to stop. Yeah. And um, they just choose the better coffee sometimes, and then then it's when they fill up uh, at our station. Mm-hmm. It's like that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's uh, yeah, that's exact great example. And like yeah. even think about even Dunkin' Donuts, right? I mean, I mean, uh, people talk about their coffee more than their donuts. Or back east. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And they they realized very early in the game actually that that's a thing and uh switched their programs over to um to better coffees. That's uh so let's push the boundaries even more. <laughs> we just uh, already discussed how hard it is to get good coffee into people's hands. And now you come with the with the uh with the organic proposition, which is uh like your brand, which is what you believe in. Uh, which is what you serve to your customers. How, how does it come together? Where does it come from? How does it work? Maybe you can talk um, a little bit about sure. it. Sure. Well, um, for me, it it started when my kids were, well, I mean, even before that, but I'll use this as an example. Like when you become a father, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in Los Angeles, if you're a parent, you know that at some point your kids are going to get this thing called RF, RSV, which is a respiratory viral thing. And that's because of the air quality here. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, being a coffee roaster, I, I, you know, when my kids were hit with this thing, one after the other, um, sometimes it develops into permanent asthma, sometimes it doesn't. Um, uh, you know, I certainly, you want you want you think about, okay, well, what am I contributing to this air quality in Los Angeles? You know, what can I do to mitigate, you know, what we're doing? And so, um, you know, long before we were required to, we would have after, we had afterburners and we we're always trying to find newer, better ways to, you know, reduce our emissions um, because I, I didn't want to be contributing to other kids having to go through this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
same thing with organic, right? So initially people think, oh, well, my body, you know, I, I eat organic food because um, it's good for me or better for me. It doesn't have, you know, let's say glyphosate, right? When you, when you, when, when agrotoxins are being sprayed on those plants, you think, oh, what's well, on the outside of the plant? So if I wash it, it's, it's going to be okay. But people are not thinking about how it gets uptaken through the root system and permeates the entire plant. Mm. And, um, but I'm going to say that's only half the equation. But I think that's the equation most people think about. Mm -hmm. The thing that a lot of people don't think about is what's the impact of working with those agrotoxins on the workers and on the farmers and on the soil mm -hmm. in those areas where these things grow and in the groundwater where these things, where it goes down and has a half-life of however many, many years. Um, so this, this, was, this was something, you know, I said, yeah, drink, drink and eat organic food for you. But let's think about the value chain. And, and part of this, again, came through my kids where I was thinking, you know, they, in second grade, they each were assigned a project, um, a farm to table project, like following, they were assigned a food to follow and they had to put together a poster. And uh, two of my kids got coffee. I don't know if it was coincidence because they knew I was in the business, but, um, and my third, my son got um, broccoli, which is not as interesting a value chain as I might say that coffee has. But thinking, you know, about, uh, well, I mean, again, not when I sound so California, but mindful, the mindfulness of you know, what it takes to get the food to your table. Like, again, from a kid's perspective, you know, sliced bread just shows up in your house, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what the great thing about this project was to make them think like, how did that sliced bread get to my house? How many people had to touch this, the ingredients and the processes for it to go from being wheat, you know, to being... Um, uh you know sliced bread so um and a, and a lot of people you know especially when you're young are unconscious to this 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 line of people that stand behind every single thing you touch in this world like the headphones you're wearing the microphone i'm using hang on where did all these components come from and how mm -hmm. far away and how how did they get assembled and you know i think during the pandemic maybe the awareness of that became a little more uh, in people's face, especially with the disruptions in, in supply chain. Um, but all of a sudden you, you know, couldn't get toilet paper. Like what? We <laughs> can't get toilet paper. There's a picture of my, my ex-partner uh, holding up, a, you know, we went to Costco, we went to five Costco's, right? To find this big, we finally found, just as they were putting down the pallet of toilet paper, you know, she grabbed one, right? <laughs> and she's like, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> sort of having you live in a, in, a, in a with a mind of abundance and that's what people say you should do but i think the pandemic forced us to look at what you know a scarcity mindset was like and um hopefully people came to an appreciation of like what it takes to get products to market so mm -hmm. thinking about those people who you know have to you know carry the, those cans of agrotoxins on their back and you know spraying things and yeah, you know, the glyphosate maybe causes um, uh, autism and, and kill kids, and, and the effects will spread. So, I actually, when I as I travel around, I always I talk when I meet with organic farmers, which is what I try to spend most of my time doing. Um, I ask them, uh, "Why did you become an organic farmer?" And I videotape, and no, I don't videotape. I use my phone, but um, mm -hmm. I record their answer, <laughs> and with very few exceptions. Um, the primary reason is for my health. 
you know, the health of my, my workers and family and the health of our community. That's why, you know, so even, even though there's a stigma, right? So sometimes I talk to farmers who are not certified organic and they get hustle. Like, why would you want me to do that? Why would you want me to reduce my yield? Why would you want me to take that, that hardship on? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I think is, you know, basically the party line as expressed by Dow and Monsanto. This is why you need us. Um, and I've had experience with that. Um, to, you know, for your health, right? For your health. And, and I guess some people said, uh, you know, for the extra premium as well. That's fair. And, and I think if, that, if you do organic correctly, because you can't just do organic or be organic, right? You need to tie that in with sustainable, and now I would say regenerative uh, agricultural practices. And that you'll find that your yields, like um, the group we work with in Colombia, uh, and Calca, I mean, their their yields are like sometimes twice as much as a conventional farmer farming on the same land because they have a great agronomist working with them for Cafe Calca, and um, mm-hmm. teaching them these, these all these methods, and they're yielding like thirty bags a hectare, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I've Amazing. seen some some people doing like uh, you know five bags a hectare, or a conventional farmer average seventeen to eighteen bags a hectare, right? So mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to. There might initially be a step back as you're, as you're learning, and as the trees are learning how to now be nutri- you know, get nutrition from these new methods. Um, but it doesn't have to be. You know, you can make more money being certified organic, not just from the premium on what you're selling, but by increasing your yield. So one thing that makes me think of right now immediately is that uh, so obviously you have experiences where yield is can be just as high or increased, but. Um, what about quality? I mean, obviously I'm sure you could still get high quality organic coffees. Typically like though, if, if I didn't know more about organic, I would immediately think like, well, organic coffee, you can still get good yields, but you, but I would, I, I would used to think that like, but you still can achieve like, you know, a 90 plus coffee, but now I would probably think otherwise. I will say, I'll say that an organic farm is like any other farm. There's no one in the world who grows hundred percent of the crop. 90 and above. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's only very new people in the industry who have no experience who think that, right? You'll know that the, the, the yields uh, on a farm will range from, you know, it could be even 100 to like 60. And there's, there's a, it's a, maybe it's a bell curve. I don't know. I don't know. If the, I, haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't tried that experiment, but that's an interesting idea to see what that curve looks like. But it's probably be different from farm to farm. But yeah, they're going to have their export quality and above. Right, and they're going to have their non-export quality and below. And every coffee has a home. So um, when you're finding a night, I, I would, I don't even think it's possible to find a container of 90 plus coffee. I don't think it's possible. I think if you're buying a few bags, then that could be the case, right? And this is the challenge. You know, when you, you know, we're doing uh, well, prior to, prior to the pandemic, we were doing 1.7, 1.8 million pounds. So we're like a, a medium-sized, small, medium-sized roaster. We're not a small roaster anymore. And finding consistent quality, right, uh, that's going to, um, you know, it's difficult, right? So when you, when you look at the world of the coffee, you know, what, what is specialty coffee as a percentage of coffee grown in the world? I mean, I don't, actually don't remember what that statistic is. I want to say 10%, okay, score of 80 and above. I, I call it 80 mm-hmm. to 82 high commercial. I don't call it specialty. 
because our minimum buying is at like 82 and a half. Um, mm-hmm. Which as you're going through more and more coffee, it gets difficult to find in volumes that you that are consistent for you to, or for the roaster to be able to produce the blends they want to produce. So um, I would say that an organic farmer produces probably as much 90 coffee as, uh, well, depends if the yields are twice as high, I guess they're, they're doing twice as much, right? Um, if they're, as long as they're, they're, they're tying their organic practices in with you know, sustainable and quality oriented agricultural practices as well. I mean, there's no reason that you, like, that you can, that, that would limit you to them to, to, oh, I can only produce an 87 because I'm organic. You know, I, I have to say that outside of cup of excellence, uh, you know, finding coffees that are 90 and above, even in a cup of excellence out of the, you know, hundred or so or more, and Norbert, you guys, right? You, you get the data yeah, now through yeah. them. So yeah. <laughs> you see, um, yeah, I, I, find, I think nineties and above are, are, are like, are like unicorns. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that, that there are a lot of people who say, oh, this is 90 coffee. I try to go on. I wouldn't give this a 90, you know? Yeah. So uh, it is. It's already hard enough to find all those, all the quantities you need, uh, and a certain stability in your supply network. Um, now, from my research work, I know I was working with a lot of smallhold farmers, mm-hmm. which uh, they have to get together to get the quantities you need. A lot of them are not certified, but they are organic. Not so much maybe by choice, but by tradition and by now just by also economic pressures. So they, they don't use any, any fertilizer or any, any, any agrochemicals. Um, but it creates this weird situation. <laughs> how, how, can, you, can you speak a little bit about it? Right. How do you, how you see that and how you, how you manage that? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would call that scenario that you described um, passively organic. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but the importance of being certified organic is uh that the definition is the same right so i was talking with this group of farmers in brazil um they go oh yeah we're, we're transitioning to organic i'm like well are you are you working with anyone oh no we're just doing it and they mm-hmm. well what do you what do you mean so we, we, i learned more and i see they're, they're growing their conventional crop on top of this hill right so they're doing whatever they're doing up there they're spraying and they're they're mm-hmm. they're, they're fertilizers which of course all that runs down into the area that they're designating as <laughs> organic. And like I go, you realize you're contaminating your organic, your quote unquote organic stuff. And um, you know, we, we, we received, I would say you know, some opposition from the co-op that they were part of a very large co-op there. Um, who, when I was there as a, as a visitor, as a, as a judge for a couple of excellence, they were put on a whole show about oh, our sustainability and this and that. And they talked about all these things. And I, and I went up to the presenter after I said, well, you didn't, you didn't mention your organic certification. Oh, who wants organic? Um, and why would anybody want to do organic? So this group approached uh, a partner at the time um, who was wearing a groundwork shirt and said, oh, yeah, we've heard of groundwork and we want to be organic. And so we arranged a meeting. And um, But before the meeting, what I had sent an agro- agronomist out there who specializes in biodynamic and organic certification, also is an inspector for those organizations. You know, but I guess the um, co-op had sent someone from uh, from Dow or whoever, their agronomist who's saying, well, you know, you're going to destroy your business if you mm-hmm. transition to organic and stop using fertilizers. You're going to, and so they got scared. Um, 
So I would say the importance of being certified organic is that you that everyone's singing the song from the same songbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, well, to me, organic is I'm going to do all these things, but I'm still going to use a little bit of the red label stuff here, just a little because I need it. <laughs> or um, uh, I'm going to uh, you know, mix them together. Or I'm going to, you know, oh, there's mostly organic coffee beans in there. And I'm going to mix them with my neighbor who's not, and so we can get more. It's like there's a, there's a, you know, there's a bright line between what is and what isn't, what's allowed, what's not allowed. And there's mm-hmm. accountability, right? Within yeah. Theoretically, with an inspector who goes out there, um, but there's also uh, some fraud, right? So you don't always know what you get, right? So uh, yeah, right. It, why I visit? I think there's there's some uh, you know scare out there, or some some uh, people are afraid. Uh, farmers are afraid to to change. The, it's not so easy for them to switch back or to they only realize what they have done maybe two three years later. Uh, you know, farmer. It's, it's hard for farmers to take that decision to uh, transition into organics. Uh, take um, it, it, it's it's a risk. Um, they will only know mm-hmm. in like maybe three to five years after if it was a good decision if it works for them. Um, there's a lot of scare out there, of course, uh, and and um, yeah, the, the, of course, some companies or there's there's different interests in the supply chain, of course, and the supplier the supplier supply chain is of course uh, wanting to sell their products, um, but also there's people like you who, who like would like like to buy that product, and I know that there's some sometimes there's development projects or there's there's governmental projects helping in a transition phase. Um, how do you have any 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 experiences or or anything out there because i know that might be other fellow roasters who might be interested in supporting sure i mean the sort of things that we were able to do now that we're uh, you know larger than we were you know 20 years ago uh you know more impactful right so um one thing we you know i'm going to also say that sustainability doesn't just tie in with agricultural practice i think it ties in with business practices so if you when you say oh these are our partners here it's like well what is a partner i mean nick and i just broke up with someone right so i mean the partnerships have beginnings and ends but um typically they last for a period of time uh so when i say that you know if you're saying you're a partner of someone big part of sustainability is you know creating a partnership where they know that you're going to be there and that you're going to buy from them year after year after mm-hmm. year so long as they're upholding their end and their agreements and you're upholding your end and your agreements um that's 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 a huge part of the sustainability because they want to um they, they need to um know what their market is so creating a stable market for them mm-hmm. um the other piece of that would be um uh well, and that would also mean i'd say not dancing around like so you know we buy this container of coffee from this produce these producers and uh Colombia for seven years now right and so I was out there when you know my first year out there meeting everybody and we had a mm-hmm. meeting with the board of directors and we're saying okay well you know we'd like to help you you know what do you need so I think lots of other people go the other way around they come out with preconceptions about what they want to do at a place and I've seen places where like in Guatemala where this this group came in and they're like, oh my gosh, we're gonna we're gonna build a library, and we're gonna build a computer lab, and provide an internet for this. And 
So they go out and I saw the library. It basically has no windows, has no floor, has no books, no shelves, just some goats and chickens living in there. Mm -hmm. right? And there was no librarian. So they built the building. They had the photos of the handshaking and the ribbon cutting, the brand new library, and then they, they're they gone. And so if you don't provide uh, or create a structure that will be self-sustaining, um, that's not really sustainable. I mean, and it's just a photo op, not a, not a real project. Mm -hmm. So when we when we do stuff with people, and, and in fact, even that size we're at, it's it's not like we can be throwing millions of dollars at um, uh, projects around the world. We we have several projects, and we're trying to do some more. You know, we're like everyone else, still recovering from uh, COVID and and um, the economic consequences of it. Uh, still trying to catch up to where we were before. Mm -hmm. Um, which makes it even harder and which makes it even more, I would say, uh, noteworthy when, when people who are facing adversity themselves mm -hmm. continue to give, continue to work the project. So, uh, this, this, this group in Nicaragua, uh, not Nicaragua, Nicaragua too, but in, um, Colombia, um, they said they needed credit, right? So it's a group of women farmers, you know, women are traditionally outside that system of land ownership. Getting traditional bank financing is difficult and expensive, and so um, we did, we came up with the the idea with them. They're they're requesting, hey, you know, I have a hard time making payroll. I go, yeah, I get that, mm -hmm. you know, right? Remember, remember back in the early days, mm -hmm. you know, you you're making that payroll. Like, oh, where that where's that money coming from? Like, and finally, something miraculously appears, and so they're between the time that they pick the cherries and the time they get paid for everything, uh, there's this gap where they don't have necessarily enough money to make payroll or to uh or if it's just their family working to um to eat so uh the idea was let's create a, a revolving credit fund so um what we did differently was uh, rather than us hold on to the money and have them apply to us for loans and and us we decided that it would be great to empower them to do it themselves right so we give them the money you know, their bank account was set up. We work with our exporter and importer, our importer, uh, RGC Coffee, and um, they have they have people on the ground in Colombia, and they work with a group called Solidaridad, which is active throughout Central and South America. So Solidaridad starts before, and and um, they they put together a program where uh, they train the executive board to be uh, the people who underwrite the loans and collect the loans and manage the money. And how to manage the money. They went through classwork to do that. And there was a curriculum that, that uh, RGC's, you know, Angela um, Pelez in, in, from RGC's office in, in, um, uh, in Bogota uh, put together with, with them. Uh, basically, before one of the farmers could participate in the loan program, they had to go through personal finance class. Like, what is debt? You know, when to use debt? You know, how to put together a budget? You know, basic things and um, um so they have to go through this program before uh they, they they can borrow money and and um i think there's like 50 or sixty thousand dollars in the fund now and um and there are more and more farmers are coming into the group and uh, becoming or, and transitioned to organic because we also provide an extra premium on top of the we put 25 cents a pound into the revolving fund and like six cents a pound goes to help transition new farmers. So to answer your question, uh, there's money that's there 
and it's, and, and the other the other companies, uh, Super Cafe from uh, Spain, is, is huge, hugely involved in the group as well. We're the two largest buyers, and um, uh, they 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 help provide this money to, to help make this transition. And we have this revolving fund that they can borrow money from at uh, low interest rates. Um, initially, they wanted to charge almost twenty percent because that's they said, oh, that's in, in very you know, 20 percent. That's cheap in Colombia. I go, yeah, but it's still a burden, right? We want this to not be a burden. We want this to help them grow. And um, they go, okay. So they they realize that. And I think they lowered it to three or four percent. Amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so they they're able to help finance people who need that help. Now it goes for farm improvements, emergencies. I was just there for the first time in three years, and wow, what a change! I mean. They're talking like business people, right? So whenever I go out there, I always give a talk. I think like business people. You're not the only women's group out there. How are you going to differentiate? You know, think as a group. How are you going to grow together? How are you going to do? How are you going to make this work and be bigger and better and more profitable yeah, and yeah. increase not just your lifestyle and uh, but you know treating your your employees if you have any as a way to improve their life as well and help help make all the boats rise. Mm -hmm. uh, as out there, it was like. Almost seeing different women for the first time in three years. Like they're walking differently, they're talking differently. One of them borrowed some money to start a bakery in her hometown, out of her kitchen into a commercial kitchen. She's catering in her village. Another one did start a small roastery, so they're nice. providing specialty coffee in their village. Another one did a bakery, right? Um, because they're trying. You know, one of the things I talked about was it's important to figure out how to even out your cash flow, right? That's you know, how do you get out of this boom and bust? Of, yeah, we got money from the coffee, but now we're in between harvests. Right, so finding they found oh this is how we're going to do that, and and uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Enjoying this episode of the Coffee and Technology Podcast. This podcast would not be possible without the support of Cropster. Whether it's tracking harvest yields, roastery and inventory management, or simply tracking brew recipes, Cropster Origin, Cropster Roast, and Cropster Cafe can help you streamline your workflows and help you operate more efficiently. I think for me, one of the best parts about that is the, the financial education that is like provided because I feel, because even like beyond coffee, I think that's like such a big systematic issue. Mm -hmm. Like people taking advantage of financially illiterate people. And obviously like, you know, it's common and probably unfortunately common in, in producing countries, but like, even I noticed this in like the Latino community in LA, like the amount of like people that take advantage of people who like don't understand how to like negotiate interest rates for just a simple car loan, for example, it's like, it's a massive unethical business that I feel like is, um, mm -hmm. hope, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but, uh, so it's, it's nice to hear when, you know, there's, there's those kinds of things mm -hmm. put in place, like financial education prior to accepting or signing or agreeing to a loan or, or an interest rate or whatever it is that, that you all are doing. Well, well you just, just pointed out something, which is where I mentioned that, you know, a lot of people come down there with preconceived ideas about what they want to do rather than listening to what's needed and help provide that was needed. Um, one of the things, one of my preconceived idea is it would be great to have like, uh, you know, for kids, there's a program here in California, I think in the United States, but I know for sure in LA called Junior Achievement. And my degree is in business from, from undergrad. And when, and uh, after I graduated school, I, you know, you, they, they have a whole program and curriculum where you, and they arrange for you to go teach basic business principles to elementary school teachers, uh, not teachers, but kids. And um, it, I, I was thinking it'd be phenomenal if, I was able to work with them and figure out a way to come up with a, you know, a coffee farm business curriculum, um, mm -hmm. and then educate them because you're right, Nick. Um, uh, you know, it, 
some some people are functionally illiterate. Some people only got into fourth or fifth grade, right? Um, and and uh, not just on on business and, and illiter illiteracy, but on literacy in general is is a big need, right? And uh, mm -hmm. because with with knowledge mm -hmm. comes power and confidence, mm -hmm. and um, and it's kind of what I'm seeing with this this group of women. Also, I mean, they're like the cop says we want it to be mm -hmm. this way. And they're like, no, we don't want this. In fact, we're going to build our own warehouse. We're going to raise money to build our own warehouse to store our own coffee because we want to know where the coffee goes, right? right? Which is, you know, a lot of people don't even think about that. Mm. Now, when the coffee gets delivered to the co-op, it gets sold and the farmers don't necessarily know. And, and like, even the first time I met them, I got this huge hug from the president of the association saying, we have never met anyone who was buying our coffee before. And on this last trip, there were members from... A co uh, an association, or I guess a small a sub co-op to the co-op, um, said we want a relationship with a buyer like they have with you. And they're they're like, would you buy coffee from us too? I'm like, no, but I'll help you find. Mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, <laughs> you know, that's really that's what business is, and that's why that's why traveling to origin is so important, is to sort of um, erase the anonymous nature of the seller and buyer, yeah. right? Yeah become a person and they become people to you and you mm. you know you know them my first name and you recognize them and they recognize you it's like it's when people talk about relationship coffee to me that's it means more than just showing up taking photos and leaving and saying oh yeah yeah i mean the whole the concept of um um, um uh, the direct trade and, and the various definitions that you see to me it's like it's not it's it's more about the relationship Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, what, what are you doing for like, what do you like? There's a group in Nicaragua, a family group. Um, and they, they said, oh, let's, you know, we need to raise our prices. Let's have a conference call. So we got on to Zoom and they're saying, hey, you know, the market's going up and, um, you know, our prices were much higher when the park market was low and you and the other, our other buyers, you know, supported us and paid this higher price that we needed um, at a time when you, you could have bought coffee for much less. Mm -hmm. And so we were going to raise our prices, but we wanted to know like how much we should raise them by, uh, because we, if we went to market price, it would be even more above what we're doing. But we wanted to be fair to you and our mm -hmm. other buyers. But we, on the other hand, we also still need to make, you know, recognize that the market is up, and we need to recognize that value. And I go, you absolutely should. You should raise your prices. And I said, you know, I think look at what you what you need to make, and look at the cost of your inputs. Mm -hmm. What's going up? Look at your lifestyle and see where you want to increase that and what you need to do for you and, and your family members who are because our farms are like a confederation of uh uncles and aunts and cousins um and uh and yeah raise your prices for sure and um and it would be great if you didn't charge us six bucks a pound yeah <laughs> <laughs> just, because, just because you could you know <laughs> No, no, of course. It's, uh, they get it. It's great. Ah, that's wonderful. But that's that's a relationship, yeah, yeah. right? So yeah, uh, whether you're handling the importing all the paperwork is is like who cares, right? No, I think the relationship is at the basis of all that. Uh, but you're also very good in putting in structures, and you have just um, mentioned that on like putting that those programs in place, uh, the financing program, uh, education programs. And I also know that you are put your own programs in place. Uh, and I'm talking about the B Corp. 
So mm -hmm. that is that is also uh, it's a program, it's a structure, but it's also you do this for a reason. Can can you talk a little bit about a B Corp? I know it's it's becoming more popular amongst oh. coffee roasters and amongst coffee people. Well, I, again, I think um, the main thing for I me, mean, we're doing these things. I mean, it's a long mm -hmm. process, right? As you know, as I think yeah. you know. <laughs> um, I was just talking to someone else who took four years or five years for their their uh, certification. Took us two, mm -hmm. um, and every time you say no to a question or you submit some responses, you get like another questionnaire, mm -hmm. right, with like another pages, and so. Um, um, Going through that process, pointed out what we were doing well, also pointed out what we need to do better, and and while you know we, and while we rose to and well above the level of um, of uh, getting be qualifying for the B Corp, you know it showed that okay, there's here's a roadmap for doing more and being better. Um, for us, I like the concept of B Corp because it sets a standard. Again, it's like um, same thing as organic. Everyone's singing from the same songbook. Mm -hmm. saying we are this kind of company not just because we are our marketing department say so or because we donate coffee to pta or uh whatever it's like we've met the standards of this third party objective third party mm -hmm. and what's more we get audited every three i think it's every three week three years um uh and we're held accountable and so there's accountability and i think um and that's the same thing with organic being certified organic there's accountability if you're not doing it right you can lose your, your status as a certified producer. Mm -hmm. you know, if you, you have time to make the corrections, which is great, uh, but the same thing with the B Corp, if you're not holding or doing these standards, um, you're gonna lose that status. And you've not, you know, so accountability, I think is, some people are gifted and can make a change without accountability. Like I, I for instance, I, I mean, I've been trying to learn Spanish forever, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I know you both speak, uh, but I realized that without me actually taking a class, yeah, you know, it was never gonna. It's never gonna happen. I'm, I I start, I stop, I start, and I stop. I've got Babel, you know, I've got Rosetta Stone. I've got uh, Spanish Spanish dick on on uh, dict on. Uh, great, but uh, so I'm, what it means is I'm just paying all these subscriptions and not uh, actually doing anything with it. But when I took a, a Spanish class in junior college, um, uh. Okay, there was some movement mm -hmm. so because there was content there was accountability right i had to be there and be and i had to do this work i had to be certain turn in a certain date and yeah yes i'm you know well past the age of uh you know caring about what my grades are but there's still that you know little kid who's like yeah i want to get that a right i have to so there's accountability and consequences for <laughs> not making those yeah, steps yeah well, full full disclosure. Uh, Twenty years ago, I would not uh, thought I would ever record a podcast in English, and uh, <laughs> my Spanish was not even to think about that I would ever be learning another uh, another language. I always thought like my 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 language brain is is not working, um, and then I just moved to Colombia because I wanted to for some other reasons and doing that research work, and then I stayed and I realized I need to learn that language. It was like more a uh, well, you have to. If, if if you want to be here, then you have to, and it works out well. So <laughs> I'm very grateful for. Yeah. Did, you, did you take like an immersion class? Were you take, taking an immersion? Yeah, yeah, class? immediately. I was. <laughs> I, it was. I was so ignorant, to be honest. Uh, I just moved there, and then a day later, I realized 
get English is okay in the research environment, but only a few hours a day. And even within that environment, there, you know, you go to cafeteria, you go hang out with people and uh, everything else was Spanish. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh my God, I just need to get this going. Otherwise I'm just bored and dying here. And I know I'm, so, I'm a social person, so I, I want to communicate. <laughs> there was a lot of uh, reward and benefit to that. Uh, yeah, plus, it's expensive to always have an interpreter going around with you. Uh, it's, 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 um, <laughs> related to that, uh, there was a fantastic speech um, of the Colombian president yesterday at, um, at the um, uh, United Nations conference in New York, the UN, yes. Oh, I'm going to the UN. Um, he speaks yeah. in Spanish, and I thought, like, it, I'm sure they have great translations for that. Um, so I'm not worried about that. But hearing it in 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 Oton is uh, is really a treat. So. <laughs> well, maybe yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll try and get that recording and listen to it. Yeah, because I mean, when I was just there, everybody was seemed to be very worried about. I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people were seemed to be worried about him and. Uh, what the impact was well, and it should be because a lot of people. What he basically says is what we were, uh, really, what you basically said today uh, on the on the effects of um, <clears throat> agrochemicals. And he said, "Well, uh, everybody is worried about climate change, but you're you're destroying our um, our, our natural forests uh, by just trying to get rid of one plant. But that plant is sacred, and that plant has so many other positive effects, uh, and so many. It, it's 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 such a small um, part of the problem. And really it's, it, it's not the plant, which is the problem. It's society. It's how, you know, how drugs are used and, and all that. And so it, I think it's a very, very strong voice in a, in a world where we hear more the other side usually. And I, I like that balance. Uh, that's where the worry comes from because it's, um, it's so different from what everybody else would like to think and how our system currently works. And if, of course it will not be easy. So, and that's, that's, you know, how, what do we, what do we do with that now? How do we change society? How do we get rid of drugs? How do you, it's like, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't know how to answer that uh, in, in those three, three, three seconds. So, right. But at least uh, it's well, the, the other question is like, or do we need to get rid of drugs or do we just need to teach people how to use them responsibly? That's a whole other discussion, exactly, and um, but also invite me back. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, and I think that's that that all <laughs> that all links to uh, why do people in the first place, you know, use them and need them, and if they can't do it responsibly, I mean, nothing is bad. But what if uh, there's that choice is not really there because just so many circumstances, uh, mm-hmm, which again sure. are created by society and with societies and. You know, when we say society, if it's, it's this gray mass out there, but ultimately it's us, right? It's, and and that's kind of links back to our, our podcast here, our recording to to say, well, we have we can do concrete steps. We can make a conscious choice for organics. You can support your farmers on the long run. You can create relationships, which are maybe not always the easiest and lightest choice, but it's a choice, and all those choices you can make you know, along your way. And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. deeply, deeply um, grateful for you taking the choices you do, uh, Jeff, and, and, and sharing with us those choices and making them a little bit more, more tangible and visible. Um, 
linking linking back to that experience when crops were small and <laughs> i love to say that really well it's one of the highlights in i would say in my career or in, in, in <laughs> my life when we were small the system was buggy and not fully developed but you saw the vision and i remember calling you and it's like hey you know can we do you want to do more trial and uh, i don't know what talk about price and you just came in and said the same thing you said to your farmers like this is a fair price i'm betting on you i'm betting on that system and i will i will send you a check for a whole year of usage not exactly knowing what that will be and like that those are moments where someone from the industry comes and you know puts not only good words in we got a lot of good words but also the money and that's also very you know it's it's important to kind of undermine the words or uh yeah hey, well words without actions are just yeah, words exactly so thank you for for all that jeff it's it's such a pleasure to to hear all that and i could keep talking for a long time <laughs> but uh yeah i appreciate the invitation i mean this is great uh great to catch up with you i mean um always enjoy talking to you and i always enjoy actually how responsive like uh i would send a suggestion and hey i think if you guys did this or change this and then I would see like a week or two later, or when you guys did it up, I would see the the change. I was like, wow, they listened. You know, they they uh, they made this happen this way. I was like, it's so, you know, the perception even back then. I mean, I I knew it was small, right? But probably people thought, oh, we're a crop store, and it's like this. You don't know how big it is, right? When the groundwork, it's like, well, it's really, you know, me and a couple of partners, still family, small family-owned businesses, really. So my couple of families, mine and and. Um, uh, several other partners and um it's not some huge you know corporate corporate agglomeration of uh, uh some evil empire right so it's it's um getting that kind of response and feedback well feedback by action is was huge it's like yeah wow they hear me and they value what i said and they did something about it and i was like great well thank you for that for that partnership because that's truly what it is and and becomes then just business. And I love that. I love well, that. And thank you for crops, sir, because yeah. I'd be still doing an Excel spreadsheet if it weren't for, yeah. for what you guys are doing. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's awesome. Which is nowhere near as good as <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, and <laughs> linking back to what you just said about that, uh, like uh, educating uh, youngsters. Uh, I, I don't know if you know, but I'm a big fan of the uh, Big Lebowski movie. And uh, my head immediately mm -hmm. went to the Big, uh, to the Lebowski Urban Achievers. <laughs> so maybe that's, uh, that could be a title for, <laughs> for, for such an education. <laughs> the Urban Achievers, those are. The Urban Achievers. Before we started, said, you know, I was at the PRF and I also was, I was presenting on the panel with other people. But prior to the PRF, and Nick, I don't know if you went on this part of it, where there was um, like a coffee farm tour. And I was like, yeah. so I was like, I, I didn't want to go. Oh, no, and I didn't I go. I'm, yeah. I'm traveling for another week after going to coffee farms. And and I really am at the point where I really, I've, I've seen enough farms. that I know what they look like and what they do. And if it's not an organic farm, I mean, I'm kind of just, you know, wasting my time and their time because I'm not going to buy their coffee. And, mm -hmm. and, and, um, uh but what uh, that nick said was um was you know i really appreciate if you go because there are a lot of new and younger people on this trip and they need to connect with the older you know the ogs and and learn and i said 
okay, that's, that's the way to play my guilt. So, um, <laughs> talk about, you know, giving back. And so, uh, um, I said, okay, I'll do, I'll go. And so I did. And it turned out to be super rewarding, uh, for exactly that reason. Right. Because, uh, you know, I, I've been doing this a long time and I have a lot of thoughts that are outside the mainstream and sharing those even while we're cupping. Right. I think, well, we're, you know, I'm thinking we should probably be cupping like this and using these instead of traditional ratios, because that comes from commodity coffee world. You know, we're in specialty coffee world and we should change the standards of how we cup. So, um, amongst other things, we're just talking about my experiences at different farms and you know what, made a lot of friends and I learned a lot from them as well. And right, it was great, which means you, 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 when you, when you were there to be someone who's a mentor, be a mentor or teacher, you often end up being the student as well, which was a good reminder. Right. Mm. Please, Nick Katerin, because it's also very, nice. <laughs> it's good for me to hear. <laughs> it's true. It's not always the immediate thing you, you know, the, very, you know, awesome. oh, yeah, I absolutely. appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. It's true, right? But just when you think your cup is full, right? You got to decide, well, I'm going to have to empty the cup or get a bigger cup or become a bigger cup so it's not full. Yeah, or put comedy in your cup and you can as well put something else in your cup, you know? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Make a cocktail. Yeah. Exactly. Coffee cocktail. (laughs) I was just being like, like coffee, you know, we were talking about drugs and whether they should be legal or not, or taught to be responsibly used. I mean, just the resurgence of um, the psychedelic psychedelics right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I, I've been to a couple of ayahuasca ceremonies, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. um, but I found out that one of the two plants used to make the drink, the ayahuasca, is actually part of the coffee family. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a species. That has not a variety of species that has, you know, the one the active ingredient DMT in it instead of caffeine. Huh. Oh, we, we know it's oh, a legal wow. drug. We know that. It That's is amazing. illegal. I didn't know that. It is. Um, but it's a super, you know, they're finding that these sort of drugs like psilocybin and uh mm-hmm. and uh um ecstasy and and uh ayahuasca are, are great for treating post-traumatic stress syndrome, mm-hmm. right? depression, addiction, you know, drinking, yeah. smoking, other addictions that are being used or even, and even for uh, people who are dying, you know, to yeah. help them deal with uh, dying. And so, you know, coffee is one of these magic plants. It is, it's, it's a magical plant and um, well, not magical in the same way that these you know, plants are magical. It, it has its own um, qualities that, uh, that make you feel good, and I, I, what I, what I hope is that people, when they hear me talking about this, approach their cup of coffee as though they're about to sip out of ayahuasca and say, you know, "How is this going to make me get in touch with the whole world? How is this going to make me uh, connect? How is this going to make me a better person?" Right? You know, dig into for that inner mm-hmm. that inner wisdom, yeah, and um, not just as you know, I need this to keep me awake, something more. Or maybe be awoken in a different way. To me, that I, I didn't start drinking coffee in my in my early years, so it, it only if, uh, just more recently and on a regular basis. And but it was always a saying for me, uh, even when I was fifteen years old. Like let's have a coffee, and you know that maybe comes from this like Venice tradition of like a coffee house, a space where you sit and talk and be in society. 
but it also can relate to what you just said. It's like you have you have that drink which connects people, and I uh, just recently mm -hmm. talked to my took to my um, uh, to my cousin. She works for a big hospital, and uh, she's like part of the uh, administrative staff on top of that hospital. And she said, we talked a little bit about coffee and their coffee infrastructure, just because she knows I'm doing I'm, I'm part of the coffee in the coffee scene. And she said something so important. She said, no, but you have to understand that coffee needs to be on the table because sometimes the conversation is a little bit tough and sometimes the, the guest coming in, it's like, it's an icebreaker. It's something we kind of, it's it's the first thing you kind of offer. And I thought like, she's so right. It's it's such an important drink. Mm -hmm. Just coffee. It's not just... Same in Colombia, you go to any meetings, uh, FNC or wherever, and every hour, this just serve your tinto. That's just, that's normal. Exactly. And it keeps the it keeps the spirit. It keeps. So, so I think there's a lot to that, and not only just waking mm -hmm. up. Jeff, that's the thank solid you, thank end. You, thank you. <laughs> so good to talk to you. Very very happy about our, our conversation, and I'm very happy that we can record this and we can bring this out to the people. Because a lot of people need to hear that. Um, there is, of course, the Netflix series about the uh, hallucinating drugs, which is also very mm -hmm. interesting. Um, so I'm thinking there is a lot of yeah. good stuff. Which one, in, which one is that? Is that, was, is that what is which which uh, Netflix one are you talking like, about? It's a six part, like one... four part series about LSD and how it came about and what all all you just said. Oh, okay. Basically, they they said well, it has so many beneficial effects they did uh, studies on uh, PTSD um, people and uh, people who couldn't have any help any other way and then is it, called, is it called changing your mind you know I don't know I, I, I can look it up um, it's a great book called changing your mind I know they just did a TV series I thought it's either on Amazon or Netflix maybe it's, it's by Michael Pollack yeah yeah I think that's yeah I think it's that uh -huh. So I thought it's it's very well made, right? It's not ju uh, judgmental. It's not like well, we um, and and there's there's so many misconceptions out there. So many mm -hmm. same same what you just said, like what how to change your mind. How to change your mind. Right. Yeah, well, it's that, that's the legacy of the war on drugs. It's yeah, it's excellent, and you know, same as, as Monsanto goes out there and says you need you need fertilizer, and the farm is scared. And maybe they don't need fertilizer. Maybe we we could use more of those drugs and actually get a little bit better in how in our spaces and feel more connected to the world and not as lost. And yeah, responsibly, I think it, it's a big tool for growth. Yeah, and that's responsible is so is I guess so hard. Um, but then again, I mean, what what does what is responsible coffee consumption? What is responsible alcohol consumption? And anything, what is responsible uh, media consumption and cell phone consumption right. and car driving and uh, uh, resource usage and, and all those things. Anyway, um, <laughs> I talked to the right people. I'm very happy to be the, in that group. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Coffee and Technology Podcast. To learn more about Cropster, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media. For more educational content, visit cropster.com forward slash learn.